0: I'm gonna start a brand new series today called Come to the Table, Come to the Table. Now, if I'm gonna have you come to the table, I first have to set the table. And this is one of those messages where I wish I would have prepaid some of you to amen. Amen. Because I'm going to need some of those later on. And so if you want to volunteer for that job, I'd appreciate that, because this is one of those messages that it, we really have to lay a foundation for what it's all about. And and Jesus always is inviting us into a deeper place with him. Now, he was invited to a dinner, and to a, 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 he was a guest of a, of a feast, and so... He's always telling stories. How many of you guys know Jesus loves to tell stories? They're called parables. He's telling stories, but he's not just telling stories just to entertain. He tells stories to illuminate spiritual truths in the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's doing. He's sitting down at a meal with them, and he's telling them a story to illustrate spiritual truth. But it also applies to you and I today. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 14. And this is really where God has been leading me all week long, and where we'll be most of the the day. It's Luke chapter 14, verse 16. He says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. Come on to the table. Dinner's ready. How many of you guys love to hear that, right? He's like ringing the dinner bell, right? He says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And the second said, or another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go test drive them, okay? Please have me excuse. Another one said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. How many of you guys ever have pre made excuses? Like when you know somebody's going to invite you someplace, you already have them in your pocket. Anybody else? Just like you've already got them ready. Okay, you guys are holier than me, okay? I just tell you. It seems like these guys already had some pre made excuses in their pocket so that when they were invited, that they would have an excuse. And it says, uh, so the servant came and reported all these things to his master, and then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Why, why, why would he do this? Well, I've preached on this before, but you gotta understand, many times, when they would give a great feast or a banquet like that, they would invite you and they would give you the day, but not the hour. Remember, you you see Jesus using that and the scriptures talk about we know the day and not always the hour. See, they would tell you what day the feast was gonna be on and then when they got everything ready, they would go out and they would tell you, it's time, it's time to eat. Everything is ready, it's on the table, it's hot and it's ready to go. So what I want you to see here and what Jesus is wanting us to see here is that these people had already been invited. they have been invited to the feast they said yes then when the meal is ready, they went out to tell him it's ready, and they came up with an excuse. So they'd been invited, but they excused themselves, and so the master is angry, and he says, well, go get somebody to eat all this food, or it's going to go to waste. So let's go out and find people, because we went to all this trouble, we went to all this work, we went to all this expense, and no one's going to take, partake of it. And so they went out and they go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city, to bring in the poor, the crippled, blind, the lame, find anybody. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there's still room. So the master said to the servant, go out to the highways, to the hedges, compel people to come that my house may be filled. And then he lays down this thing that he's trying to communicate to them, but I hope it communicates something to us. And he says this, he says, for I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Again, remember, they had been invited, but when supper was ready, they didn't come. Could could it be that there are some of us here today, many of us, quite possibly, who've been invited into the purposes and plans of God, and when God says, let's do this, we make excuses. This is where I need those prepaid amens, or volunteers, that'd be great. Anybody who wants to volunteer? Could it it be that there are many of us who have been invited into the kingdom, invited into the plans and the purposes of God, and yet we find excuses? What, What I discovered about this story many years ago is that I believe the people who were invited to the banquet made a critical assumption error. The critical assumption error they made when they were invited to the banquet is this. They assumed that the banquet was all about them and all for them. And if the banquet is all about me and it's all for me, I might just find something better that I like that's all about me and it's all for me that I'd rather do. I'm here to suggest that there may be some of us that we've come to this place where we assume that the banquet or the kingdom of God is all about us and all for us, and so when there are certain times that we're invited to participate, there are other things we would like to do better that's all about us and all for us, and so we rationalize it away and say that this is okay. And this is a very dangerous place to be. And let, let me just tell you that the banquet is not about you, it's not all about you. It's not all about you, it's not all about your purpose, your thing, your value, your whatever. Yes, God is a loving Father. We just sang about the love of God, the grace of God, and I've preached about that many, many times. But, but the truth of the matter is, this thing, this kingdom of God is not all about you, it's about the king and his kingdom. And once we realize that it's about the king and his kingdom, then our excuses start to fall flat our assumptions about, well, what about me or what about my thing, it starts to fall flat. And I think it's because we wrongly believe that making an investment in the kingdom of God should be the same approach as making an investment in the natural. See, when you make an investment in the natural, you do everything you can to make sure that what you give, you get more back. That what you get back is better than what you gave. That's the hope or you're not a good investor, right? And so we approach the kingdom of God that way, that we, we subtly come into the kingdom of God and we try to make sure that, I, yeah, sure, I'm willing to give, but I believe that it's gonna be given back, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and we come up with all these things, and, and certainly God is a God of abundance. But we come into it with this intention that I've got, if I'm gonna invest, if I'm gonna serve in the kingdom of God, that I better get something out of it and it's gonna be better than what I put into it. Now, we may not verbalize that, but that's how many times we approach this because nobody wants to do a bad investment, right? How many of you guys are like those super deal shopper people? Anybody, like, that's your spiritual gift of shopping. Let me see all the spiritual gift of shopping people right there. You like to get a good deal. We have a low inventory of spiritual gift shoppers in this crowd versus the other services, but nobody likes to get a bad deal. Everybody likes to get a good deal, Uh, Years ago, I was shopping for a couch. Actually, I don't even know if I was shopping for a couch, but I stumbled upon a couch in a store, and it was broken. It Like, the back of it was broken. I thought, well, I can fix that, you know? And it was kind of discounted, and it was like a $900 couch. It was all leather and everything. It was just awesome, but it was broken. And so I negotiated with them and negotiated with them. It's like negotiating with Iran, but I got them down to like $200, I had a broken couch, but I got a deal, right? (laughs) Because no one likes to get a bad deal. But Jesus does something very interesting in, in this chapter of Luke chapter 14. If we rewind the tape just a little bit in the chapter, remember he told the story, back it up just a little bit. He tells us something very interesting about how the kingdom of God works that may explode our assumptions. It says in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, he also said to the man who invited them, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Remember, he's not just telling a story or instruction. He's illuminating the kingdom of God. He's saying that some of you are entering the kingdom of God and you're doing so in such a way that you are trying to make sure that you get repaid for every single thing that you do. Every single time you serve, every single time you give, every single, you, you want something in return and hopefully something better. And so Jesus says, don't invite your rich friends because they're gonna be obligated to pay you back, to invite you back. That's been your motivation. But watch this, he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What is Jesus doing here? He's, he's making the point He's making the case that in the kingdom of God, there will be some times, many times, when you make an investment with no personal gain to you, and it will be called a great investment by Jesus. There will be times, let me me just settle in on this question, okay? And I want you guys to marinate in this question for just a minute. Is it possible for what those things that benefit you and the things that benefit the kingdom of God to be directly at odds with one another? Let me say it again. Is it possible for what benefits you and what benefits the kingdom of God to be in complete opposition to one another at times? And if it's possible, if so, maybe we're fighting for the wrong things. Maybe we're fighting so hard for what benefits us because we've centered it all around us. We've made the assumption that the banquet is about me, the banquet is for me, instead of the banquet being about the king and his kingdom. And because of that, maybe we're fighting for the wrong things. You see, in our culture, greatness is measured by how many people serve you, by how many people follow you, by how many people work for you, by how many people applaud you, right? But Jesus makes the case that greatness in the kingdom of God is not by how many people are serving you or following you, but by how much you serve, I really have a one point message today and it's this. If you wanna know what your greatest moments in life are gonna be, I'll tell you what your greatest moment in life will be and your greatest moments will be this. Your greatest moments in life are not when you're being served but when you're serving. Let me say it again. Your greatest moments in life are not when you're being served. They're not when you're served but when you are serving. There, there was a, a Many years ago, when we first started the church, about a year or two in, um, I, I, a guy came to church and he wanted to have coffee with me. I, I call pastoring many times, it's, it's like a thousand first dates and a thousand breakups, okay? Because I meet with a thousand people for the first time and, and we have coffee, and, and sometimes you have some breakups too, right? But I, so I, I was meeting this guy up for coffee, and as I was there at coffee with him, uh, he began to tell me how he was a retired pastor and all this type of stuff, and he says, Here's what I do. He said, I teach small groups about the book of Revelation. I was like, oh, good, cool. He said, that's what I do. I said, is that all you do? That's what I do. I said, not here you don't. Because you have totally missed what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. You've totally missed what it means to come in and to serve and to to say, "Where, where can I serve? You've totally made it all about you and all for you. And you've made it all about your gift. And you're calling. Let me, let me just remind you that your greatest moments are not when you're being served or when your thing is being served or when your area is being served, but when you are serving. Prepaid amens. Let's go. Let's, there we go. Thank you. Right, let's get, let's just get it. Let's just get in there. I, I, I told you I was going to get there. Let's just get there real fast. Have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever been frustrated with this church, Journey Church? You can put in another church if you like, but I'm just asking. If you ever been frustrated with this church, or maybe another believer that you know, and you felt this, you felt if they just loved Jesus like I love Jesus, then they would be doing this. Fill in the blank. If this church just, if they just, they just don't get it. They just don't get the heart of God the way that I get the heart of God. They don't get the heart of God the way that I feel the heart of God. If they just knew Jesus better, if they just set down their agenda and put up the kingdom agenda, then they would be doing this, that, and the other thing. It'd be fun to see hands right now, but you know. <laughs> Have you ever been frustrated by this church? And, and maybe you say, It's going to be, here's what's going to surprise you. I've been pastoring this church for 14 years, and here's what will surprise you, that what rings your bell is the same thing that unrings someone else's. That what you're passionate about, if if that was the whole thing, then somebody else would leave over. And here's what we end up doing. We, We end up saying things like, well, if this church understood the heart of God, it would be all about evangelism. Because I mean, you, souls are the only thing how many of you guys know that souls are the only thing you can take with you to heaven, right? And so I could spend time, and I could preach a whole message about souls, 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 that everything we ought to be doing as a church ought to connect back to souls and winning people to Jesus. And I could do that, and, and for other people, maybe you're here, and you're like, "No, no, no, no. Re, what we need is revival. How many of you guys know that our nation needs revival, right? Anybody believe that, that our nation needs revival? Like, why? If we don't have revival where God's spirit and God's power comes and sweeps through and changes hearts, then nothing is going to matter, right? And we need to put all of our eggs in that basket and go after the presence of God, the power of God, the miracles of God, and and all of these things, because we need revival. And then others of you might be like, no, it's missions. Like, Jesus said, He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I mean, Jesus said it, right? He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. If we're not doing that, then we don't get it. For for others of us, it, it might be, you fill in the blank what it is for you. But I guarantee you, it's different for many people. And here's what I see a lot of people end up, they end up getting frustrated and saying, well, they just don't get it. And so we pull back, we step away, we step out, or we step out of relationship, or we get a a silent undertow of frustration. And I believe it's because we really don't understand how the kingdom of God works. We really don't understand how the body of Christ works. I was talking with Pastor Aaron about this uh, a while ago, many months ago, and he put out this video on one of our social media channels that probably most of you didn't see because it was just during the day and it just kind of came and went. But I thought it was so key to understanding what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God that I'm gonna have him share on video. So let's take a look.
1: You may have, and you will have more of a passion and more of a drive for the part of the body that you are, for the role that God has called you to. If it's evangelism and outreach, you're going to be more passionate about that than someone who is uh, been, you know, God's called them into teaching, or or preaching or writing, you know. Uh, if your call is prayer and worship, like me, then you're probably going to be more passionate about that than you would for a helps ministry or an administrative type ministry, which is also a part of the body. And so, the the key and important thing here is to understand how this all works. And so, I told you God showed me this picture, and I want to show it to you real quick right now. Um, so I got my trusty whiteboard here and, uh, it was the end of a service. And, and as pastor Sean dismissed the service, I saw a picture of a box because what was happening is I was frustrated at that point because, and I don't remember exactly what the deal was, but something was going on where, you know, I was wanting people to be more fired up about prayer, wanting people to be more fired up about worship, about the presence of God, um, because that is more of my all-consuming passion over other areas, right? And um, God showed me this box and a dot in one quadrant of a box, right? So it's like you've got a box that's kind of broken up into quadrants, four sections here. I'm not a artist here so bear with me and God showed me this box with this dot and he said Aaron you are this dot and this box is Journey Church now this dot in the middle where everything meets this is the vision of the church and the person who is this dot and occupies this spot that's Pastor Sean that's the lead pastor of the church. He is the one that I have called to shepherd and guide and drive the vision of the church that I've given him for this church. Now, Pastor Sean, uh, he would have a spot in one of these quadrants, too, just as far as what he personally is, is more invested in and interested in. But as his role and his calling, God has called him to occupy this place here. So like over here, maybe in my area, you might have prayer and worship, something like that. It's a presence-driven thing. Down here, you might have something like uh, youth and kids ministry or something like that. Over here, maybe you would have something like outreach and evangelism, uh, you know what I mean? So you've got different pieces and uh, focuses right here. So you might have somebody that's down here, and this is their passion. And they're like, I am so fired up about youth, right? And then you might have somebody over here that's like, no, 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 wait, hold on. Youth is great. Worship's great. But we got to get people saved. We got to get people into the kingdom of God. We got to pour ourselves out for this effort. And they're super fired up about this. And I'm over here, and I see the, the you know, and bear with me on this, you know, you kind of put yourself in my shoes and, and see where you are here. I see the importance of these things, right? I'm not saying that kids aren't important. I'm not saying that outreach isn't important. It's incredibly important. But I am so passionate about this right here. I want to see people prophesying. I want to see people breaking through in worship. I want to see the presence of God just invade a room or invade someone's life. And so I'm super passionate about this. So God started showing me that you have been given a passion for this area um, because you have the, you serve a purpose. You need to be in this uh, quadrant. You need to be in this section right here because your passion pulls on the center. And the person down here who's passionate about the youth, they pull on the center and This person who's an outreach and evangelism person, they pull on the center. And then you've got some other categories over here um, that are also people that are pulling on the center. And Pastor Sean is right here in the middle. And so he has people in all these areas that God has placed just like a body that has a hand and a a leg and a foot and an eye and an ear, right? That are all serving different purposes. And what God showed me was, Aaron, if you had your way and you were able to somehow convince everybody to move over into your box, it might feel good to you and your passion, but you would pull the center off of balance and you would lose these other areas that are just as vitally important. You have a spot somewhere in this whole grid uh, that is, is where God's called you to be. Answer that call, develop that calling, develop that gifting, grow in that area, and then be aware that God has put other people in other areas, so if people aren't responding, to current events the way you think they should or if people aren't showing up in the numbers you think they should for your area I mean pray for that pray about that and we need more people in every area so there's not a uh, it's not like there's not some truth to that but beware of a critical or a judgmental spirit when it comes to seeing people that have a different calling and a different gifting than you do Recognize the passion that God has stirred up in your heart for your area, but be aware that God has placed other giftings, passions, directions in other people's hearts that they're responding to too. And when each one of us does that, when each one of us responds to that and grows in that gifting and that calling, then we begin to reveal the kingdom of God in power to this world around us, right? And we're not just a body that is consisted of just a head or just a hand or just one leg, right? We are the full body of Christ uh, being revealed to this world.
0: That's a good word, guys. That's, that's a good word. So what we try to do, and I, I've experienced, like I said, for, 14 years past in this church, I've experienced the pull, I've experienced people trying to pull the center, and as the calling and the vision. I've had to hold on to that and say, "Wait, there's a body here. There's a bigger picture here." And and as I've looked over the past several years, what I've seen is we tend to have healthy positioning of areas of the grid and unhealthy people. I'm not. I know that's a blanket statement. I'm not saying that to condemn us as a church. I'm just saying that's. That's what happens in most places, and in fact, that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, because he had to correct (laughs) some of that. So so what is my challenge to us today? Man, let's look at that, and let's choose to grow. Let's choose to recognize what God is doing. Let's choose to be a part of it. Let's choose to, to be a part of what God has called us to and what God has called us to together. And let's recognize that. Because we were designed to serve others and to serve with others. God designed us to, to link arms with one another. And what we tend to do is God gives us a gifting and a calling, and what we tend to do is we try to orient everyone else around our gifting and our calling instead of orienting our gifting and our calling around the body of Christ. Let me say that again. What we tend to do is we discover What our gifting and calling is, and we try to orient, rearrange, engineer a life so that everything serves our calling instead of our calling serving the kingdom of God. This is where we grow up. This is where we have to grow up because your greatest moments are not when you're served but when you're serving. But there's one ingredient that it takes, I mean, there's probably several, but serving in the kingdom of God takes a very special ingredient, and and I say this because Jesus said it in the context of what we're talking about here. And the one ingredient that it's going to take if you want to grow up and if you want to plug in in this way, it's going to take this. It's going to take humility. There's no other way. It takes people who are willing to humble themselves. It takes people who are willing to lay something down. It takes people who are willing to say, I may not be right. It takes people who are willing to give grace when, when we've been hurt. It takes, will, it takes us to be willing to, to give this humility. And Jesus said it, not me, if you back it up again. So we're kinda going backwards in the chapter, but it says this in Luke chapter 14, verse seven. It says, now he told a parable. These guys needed two stories, okay? That's how, where they were at. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Now, listen to this and try to comprehend what Jesus is saying. He says, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you will both come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes he may say to you friend move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you for everyone who have you guys heard this before who exalts himself will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted have you ever wondered what the heck is Jesus talking about here i mean he's talking about like going to a feast and playing musical chairs like what is going on here right what is he talking about Well, one of the best ways we can understand this is one of the most famous meals in all of the Bible, the Last Supper. How many of you guys have heard of the Last Supper, right? It's the supper, like right before uh, Jesus is going to the cross, and if you've heard of the Last Supper, you've probably seen this picture. Let's put this picture up, it's one of the most famous iconic depictions of the Last Supper. How many of you guys have seen this picture before? It's a painting by da Vinci. The problem is, it's all wrong, okay? Like the whole thing is wrong about the arrangement and where people are sitting and how it all is set up and all that type of stuff, but we kind of have this picture that this is how it was, but this is not how they were seated, and so when we read something like this and we look at something like that, we don't understand what, what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? Well, I, I want to illustrate what it was like at the Last Supper, but I, instead of just telling you about it, I got to show you, so it's better if I show you, so take a look. All right, I've taken over the four and five room to uh, give you this little illustration because most people don't believe that it was a long table like in the the painting or anything like that. It was actually in those times in Jesus' day, archaeological evidence even uh, presents itself that at the Last Supper that it was more of a U-shaped or a semi-circled shaped table. And it was low like this, only there actually weren't any chairs. This is just here for illustration purposes. But it was really low. And they would actually recline at the table. Remember, Scripture says that as they were reclining at the table, they would actually lean on their left side and they would eat with their right hand. And so they would kind of cascade around the circle, all leaning the same direction. And we know that this makes sense because Scripture tells us that John, the beloved, was actually leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper. So it totally makes sense. Now, what's interesting, uh, this open area was for serving or entertainment or anything like that. Uh, But what's interesting is the seating arrangement that would have been during this time. So in that time, the seating arrangement would have went something like this. The second chair from this side would have been the actual host of the banquet or the feast or whatever. And to That person's right would be maybe the youngest or a good friend, and somebody would be at this place. Uh, To the left of the host would be the guest of honor. And then from there on out, it would go from the greatest, which would be the guest of honor, all the way in order of importance to the least over on this side. And so that's why Jesus says, he says, when you come to a banquet, when you come to a feast, don't just assume where you're supposed to sit. Don't come and pick maybe seat number five when the the host would then have to get up, tap you on the shoulder and say, 'Mm, we kind of have some more important people here. I'm going to have to ask you to move down a few seats. He said, when you come to a feast, when you come to a banquet, humble yourself. He said, take the lowest spot. So then the host, now again, this all makes sense. So then the host would come and tap you on the shoulder and move you up a few spots of importance so that those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves Will be humbled. Now, what's interesting is we can uh, pretty much understand what happened or where the seating arrangement was with the disciples at the Last Supper. We know that Jesus was the host of the feast. So, Jesus was actually sitting in chair number two on this side. We know that John, the beloved, had to be sitting right here at this end seat because he was leaning up against Jesus. So, we know John was sitting there. Uh, We know that most likely many people believe that Peter was actually sitting in the least spot of honor. And this person over here would actually many times be responsible for washing the feet of the other people at the, the table or maybe going and getting things, which you know had to just frustrate Peter, right? But we know this because Peter had to motion over to John to ask Jesus a question. And so what's interesting about all of this is who the guest of honor was at the Last Supper. And we know who it was. Because if you'll remember, Jesus said, the one who betrays me is the one who puts his hand in the dish with me. We know, and what's amazing about this, Jesus showing ultimate humility and ultimate sermon illustration. He put Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, at the seat of the guest of honor. Now, that's incredible, but again, it points this picture that those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, what's happening next at the Last Supper is going to demonstrate, Jesus is, is going to illustrate exactly what it means to, that, that your greatest moment is not when you're being served, but when you serve. Yeah, so that's pretty powerful, right? It just helps you understand what was going on there, and... So what happened next, remember they're at the Last Supper and they've got this seating arrangement. You gotta imagine Peter's here at the end seat and they're kinda figuring it out like what's going on. What happened next is they started to argue with one another over who's the greatest. So you have to imagine they're sitting there. See, sometimes we just take these things out of context, but you put it in context with what's going on and it totally makes sense. I have to imagine that some of them were like, why didn't I get, why is Judas, they had to know that something was up with Judas, you know? Why is Judas in the guest of honor? Why did I get seat number seven? Which one of us is the greatest? And they begin to argue with one another of which, why did we get seated the way that we were seated? And it says in Luke chapter 22, a dispute arose among them as to which would be regarded as greatest. And Jesus said to them, he starts to paint to them the picture of the upside down kingdom of God, right? He says, or I say right side up. He said, and the, the, he said to them that the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So he says, in the way that it works in the world is that if you're in charge of people, you benefit. But he says this, but not so with you. He says, rather let the greatest among you be the servant, right, be, become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who is serving at the table? Well, of course, in the natural or in the world, it's the one who reclines at the table This is the greatest. And Jesus says, but I'm going to be one among you who serves. This had to mess with their mind. Because they know that Jesus is the savior of the world. the Creator. They're getting ready to know, but they already knew that that he was the miracle-working God. Jesus, Jesus had this moment with Peter where Peter said, you are the son of God. So how can Jesus, the greatest of all time, the creator of the world, be one who serves? And here's what we also know. At some point during this supper, which I have to imagine had to be about right now, Jesus does what? He gets up and he walks over to Peter and he bends down and he begins to wash Peter's feet. You have to imagine Peter in that moment saying, maybe I shouldn't have complained, (laughs) you know? And and in fact, he does say something to that effect. Jesus, you can't, no, I, no, I should be the one. You should not be washing my feet. But Jesus is painting this picture that your true greatest moments are not when you're being served, but when you're serving and he washes Peter's feet. And it's not about some you know, ceremony of washing feet, you know, that's fine, but it's really about a picture of humbling yourself to serve in the kingdom of God. Saying whatever honor you think you deserved, it doesn't matter, the one who serves is the greatest. And, and when Jesus is down there washing Peter's feet, no one could say that he's not the greatest simply because he's washing feet, because he was always the greatest but in in that moment he was demonstrating how greatness comes. He was demonstrating your greatest moment. When I was a youth pastor several years ago, I was walking outside my house one night and it was dark and I was praying and I was just just a young man with a lot of dreams of wanting to do a lot of great things for God and and I was just praying about those things and talking to God about all these things that I could just see in the future And, and God dropped this in my spirit as I was out there walking and praying, he said, Greatness is made when no one is looking. Greatness is made when no one is looking. See, we we tend to think that serving in the kingdom of God is like a trade-off. Like I said, like an investment, a trade-off. And we think, well, I don't expect money to serve in the kingdom of God, but I kind of expect honor, appreciation, some sort of value of fulfilling my purpose, Like if I'm gonna serve in the kingdom of God, I kind of have these expectation of recognition or a feeling of purpose and all those things are not bad and all those things are fine, but they miss the point of what true serving in the kingdom of God is. You know what, true serving in the kingdom of God, true serving in the kingdom of God is giving yourself away with no expectation of return. So that the greatest servant of all time, Jesus, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, true serving is giving yourself away. I remember uh, years ago I read this article, and it was an article to me, but it was real life to these people that on September 8th, 1999, the Chinese government declared churches illegal cults in China, and so... This increased the persecution. It increased, I mean, they, they were dragging people away into work camps where they'd have to, you know, hard labor, 16 to 20 hours a day, and hard labor just for following Jesus. They would, constant harassment, constant uh, persecution. They would find them anywhere from a day to a year's wages. They, they would constantly, they would de- deny them services like health services and all sorts of things simply for following Jesus. They had beatings and torture and all sorts of things as a result of this. And yet, many of those who are believers over there did so with joy because they knew that they were following after Jesus and they were willing to give their life away. What what am I saying? Greatness is made when no one is looking. Some of the greatest people in the kingdom of God, you will never know their name. Some of the greatest people in the kingdom of God have lived their lives, gave their lives, and you will never know their name. And, and we we measure greatness by all the wrong things. These people giving their lives even unto death. And some of us won't serve in the nursery because that's asking too much. Some of us won't give because that's asking too much. Some of us might not step over into auditorium two because that's asking too much. Can you see how we've twisted many times and we've made this banquet all about us and all for us? I'm not trying to bring a heavy condemnation. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction upon our hearts. Some of us won't serve because we don't want to wear a mask. What am I saying? I'm saying it's time for us to take up a towel again like Jesus. You know, when we come with our excuses, like the people in Jesus' story, you know what I see Jesus doing out of the corner of my eye when I have my excuses? I see him getting up from his seat and coming over and starting to wash my feet. (laughs) And inevitably, like Peter, I'm like, no, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) But I believe that's who he is and that's what he does. I'm gonna have a worship team come back up as we get ready to close, but I'm gonna say something important here at the the end that I don't want you to miss, okay? I don't want you to miss this. God has placed you in one of those quadrants, yes. We are supposed to, but there are moments in our life where we serve regardless when we serve anywhere, right? We serve anywhere. We serve because we're part of the body. We serve outside of our grid because we're part of the body. And so what I'm doing, I'm not saying to not follow your calling because God placed a gift and he placed a calling, he placed a passion. I'm not saying to not follow your calling. What I am saying, though, is your calling can quickly become your kingdom if you're not careful. And you build a kingdom around your calling. I see it happen all the time. You build a kingdom around your calling and all of a sudden your calling has turned into a kingdom and not his kingdom. And what I'm simply calling us to do is to come back to pick up a towel to come back to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I just wanna be like you. Jesus, I just wanna be like you. Listen, if you are feeling Holy Spirit conviction right now, here's what happens when the word is preached. Two things generally happen, offense or conviction. You have to sift through what you're feeling. If you are feeling Holy Spirit conviction, here, let me tell you the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is from the enemy that tells you about something you can't go back and change. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit that motivates you to do something different in the future. If you're feeling conviction from the Holy Spirit right now, congratulations. It means that you're not callous, it means that your heart is not hard. It means that the Holy Spirit still has your attention. It means that he's still speaking to you. And what a wonderful thing. Oh, what a wonderful thing. When the Holy Spirit is still moving upon my heart, even if it hurts, it's still a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful that I never graduate beyond the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I never move beyond that. Your greatest moment is not gonna be when you're standing on a stage like I am right now. It's not the it's not greatest moment. Your greatest moments are gonna be things, when you step into eternity, you will see your greatest moments all lined up. And most of them will probably be things that no one on this planet ever saw. It's time to get back to the heart of God. It's time to serve others in such a way that it humbles us. It's time to serve others in such a way that it costs us something. It's time to serve others in such a way that we're moved to love like Jesus. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to worship him one more time? The word of God is powerful and is active. Let me read one more scripture to you. Matthew chapter 20 verse 25, but Jesus called to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Let me just declare that over us. It shall not be that way among us. But whoever would become, would be great among you must be your servant. See, I didn't really come up with this sermon. Jesus did. Can you see it right here? See the the one-point sermon? It says, and whoever must be first among you must be your slave. Whoever be great among you be your servant. Even the Son of Man came not to... Be served, your greatest moment is not when you're being served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus is faithful no matter where you're at? He he loves us right where we are, but here's the truth of the matter. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. He moves us. See, if you want to follow Jesus, that means being in motion. And if you found yourself in the same spot for the last 25 years as a believer, maybe we don't have 25 years of experience following Jesus. We have one year repeated 25 times. It's time for us to follow after Jesus, right? So Jesus, we come to you and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your conviction today. I thank you for that, even preparing this message. And I pray as a result of today that we would see life, see the kingdom, see the church, see our friends, see our uh, family through your eyes. Help us to serve others. Help us to serve our spouse this week even without them even knowing it. Help us to serve other people even when it's not visible. Help us to serve others knowing that everything we do is unto you, God. Holy Spirit, Bring conviction in our heart. Bring change. We say that you have the master key to our life. You don't just have certain keys to certain doors. You have the master key. Come in and rearrange all the pieces. And we just thank you that you do that. We know that you do that. We trust you with that. We worship you for that. And Jesus said, let's worship him one more time.